High Praise Podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Joshua, lead pastor here at High Praise, and I want to thank you for downloading today's podcast. We know that this message is going to encourage and bless you. So I want you to open up your heart and receive what the Lord has for you today. How many of you believe that God is interested in you right where you live? Do you believe that? Do you believe God's interested in you right where you live? Paul, the Lord says, son, rise in this day. Arise in this hour. The Lord says, your days are not over, but the Lord says, the greatest is yet to come. And the Lord says, even it's a time to even put aside. The Lord says, even some memories of yesterday and begin to pursue the tomorrow and the today that I have for you now. And so the Lord says, arise, O son, and gird up your loins. For God says, it's time to run. It's time time to run the race. It's time to run the race, says the Spirit of the Lord. And the Lord says, don't look at retiring, but look at refiring, says the Lord. And God says, I'm going to cause a fresh fire from heaven to touch your life. And God says, I'm going to move you into some new dimensions that you haven't touched before and you haven't seen before. And the Lord says, that gift is not going to lie dormant. And God says, even calls it, the Lord says, stir it up once again. Stir it up once again. Again. For God says, I've called you to be an agent of deliverance and healing. And the Lord says, even as you have ministered to many and brought healing and deliverance and, and direction and instruction, the Lord says, even once again, I'm causing these things to arise and come to the surface. The Lord says, I'm causing a new road to even begin to open up before you. I'm causing a new way to even be established, says the Spirit of the Lord. So the Lord says, son, arise, arise and run, arise and run the race, says the Spirit of the Lord. Give the Lord a praise tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, I wasn't planning on doing that, but how many know God knows exactly where you live? How many know God's got your address? I got a message to preach, but I don't know if I'm going to preach it or not. I got... I just really feel a stirring within my spirit and my heart tonight. And I believe there is a prophetic thrust that God is doing in this church body, that God is releasing within this church body. That doesn't necessarily mean that we're just going to line up and all prophesy to one another. But one of the things that we have to remember, we have to remember the DNA that God has called us uh, called us to be faithful to. And w part of that DNA is that we are a prophetic people. And listen, just because some may have misused the truth and some may have abused the truth doesn't mean we're going to refuse the truth. As a matter of fact, the best thing that you can do when you see some people abusing and not doing, uh, treating things in the proper manner, and I'll just go ahead and say it, and missing it and not doing things right and beginning to get their hands in areas that God's not really called the prophetic to delve into, to, uh, the best thing that we can do is begin to exhibit the right manifestation of it. Amen? See, you don't, listen, you don't bring correction by stop, uh, stop doing it altogether. We bring correction by manifesting it properly, right? In other words, let's be the manifestation of what the prophetic is really supposed to be. By the way, I want everybody to understand that the prophetic ministry is supposed to be active within the church. Did you know that? It is God's design. As a matter of fact, Paul actually told the church at Thessalonica, he said, despise not prophesying. Don't despise prophesying. Well, obviously, there had to be a lot of prophesying going on 
in order for him to say, do not despise it. Because if you think about this, you know, has anybody ever sat down? <coughs> Probably some of you, you ate at Christmas. Did anybody have any desserts for Christmas? Did you have any desserts? What kind of desserts did you have? Just real quickly. What kind? What did you have? Banana pudding. I heard that. And banana pudding, pecan pie, right? And you know what? How many of you had some banana pudding or pecan pie? You had at least one helping of it, right? But you know what? You know, and you, but you got to a point to where you were full, right? You're full. And if somebody would have put another helping of banana pudding in front of you, you, you get to a point where you would say, I despise this. It makes me sick. I don't even want to look at it. You know, turkey is good. About the second slice after that, I don't want to see turkey for another year right? You start despising it because you get full of it. You've had your fill of it. In other words, listen, in the church at Thessalonica, hear this, there was so much prophesying going on that Paul had to tell them, don't despise prophesyings. And you got to hold fast to that which is good, you know? And so we have to understand that the prophetic ministry is supposed to be active within the church body. We are a prophetic people. And by the way, the prophetic isn't designed just to operate within the four walls of high praise. Do you know there's a prophetic gifting that God wants to release within your life, within your heart, so that when you're at the coffee shop, you can go minister to somebody. When you're at Walmart, you can minister to somebody. Whenever you're at TJ Maxx, you can minister. You can minister to somebody, amen? In other words, there's a word that's flowing up out of you, and God shows you things and reveals things. I'm not talking about being squirrely. As a matter of fact, when you, the manifestation of the prophetic in, in a correct manner is never squirrely, right? You don't go into TJ Maxx and, whoo, whoo, I got a word for you. No, you don't do that. There's a way. How many know Jesus didn't do that whenever he ministered to the woman at the well? You know, you know how he ministered? He started asking her questions. And she started asking him questions. They started just talking to each other, just dialoguing to one another. Hey, how are you doing? Well, I'm not doing so good. Well, I know you're not doing so good because I feel like the Lord wants me to pray for you because I see this going on in your life, right? There's nothing weird about that. There's nothing squirrely about that. And, there, you know, there are some prophetic weirdos and there are some prophetic squirrels that are out there today. And, by the way, don't take your cues from them. You follow those who through faith and patience have inherited the promises. Follow those who have something working in their lives. Follow those who have been accurate in their prophetic ministry. Right? Don't follow those who prophesied about COVID and it didn't happen the way they prophesied and prophesied about the election. It didn't happen as they prophesied. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? Don't get mad with me because I'm preaching good right now. But you know what? Don't get, you know, they prophesied about this and that. They prophesied about 2023. I just saw something the other day and somebody sent me a video of this lady who prophesied and said everybody was going to have five or ten different people of their families die because of the vaccine just in the the year 2023. Well, you know, not one family member, and I'm not telling, I'm not pro or against or for or anything like that. I'm just saying, you know what? Whenever you start affixing the name of the Lord to what you're saying, you better know you heard from God. Right? You better qualify it, at least say, this is my opinion, okay? Okay, your opinion was wrong. But you know what? We don't need to, we don't need to be saying, thus saith, this is not in my notes tonight. But I believe that the Lord wants us to. Listen, we don't need to lose sight of the prophetic here in this church body. Amen? It's part of the DNA. This is who we are. 
This is who God's called us to be. We are an apostolic, prophetic. We are a five-fold ministry church, and we believe in the operation of all five. Amen. Okay, turn to Hebrews 6. Now, that I've said that, on Sunday, we are going to be having a water baptism. We're going to be baptizing people. I don't know how many we're baptizing. Do you know how many we're baptizing? Anyway, uh, anybody know? Huh? There's 12 or there's a dozen people we're going to be baptizing this coming Sunday. I think Pastor Joshua is jumping in the tank. And um, praise God, I'm preaching on Sunday, and so it is between the services. By the way, if you have not been baptized in water and you want to be baptized, please get your name on the list because you need to be baptized. Okay, water, as a matter of fact, we'll see this in a little bit, but um, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But, you know, water baptism is important. It's a commandment that we have been given. And, uh, and so Hebrews 6 verse 1, it says, It's therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ. Let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms. Everybody say Baptisms of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Now, this particular passage of Scripture actually defines what most theologians term as the six fundamental foundational doctrines of Christ. In other words, every doctrine that we have in the church is built in one way or another upon these six fundamental foundational doctrines. And uh, it's important that we as the church have an understanding of these doctrines. Now, we're not going to cover all six of them tonight. I am going to cover the, the foundational doctrine of baptisms. Now, everybody just say this word. Say doctrine. Now, what I have found, and I've been around for quite a while now, and I've been in church my entire life, and we've been in ministry now for over 42 years, I have found that in most charismatic, prophetic circles, when you use the word doctrine, it's not a word that is well received. As a matter of fact, it is seen as a religious term in the sense of like the religious traditions of men. It's seen in a negative fashion. But I want everybody to understand this. The word doctrine is a good word. I saw an advertisement not too long ago for a church and their church and their slogan that they had for their church or whatever you want to call it, what they had that they were advertising and give, gave the name of the church. And it says this, where there is no doctrine, only love. And I thought to myself, well, that's not really a church. Because it is important for us as a church to understand the doctrines of our faith as a matter of fact, the very first thing that is mentioned about the early church is this. It says this, that they continued in the apostles' doctrine. They continued in the apostles' doctrine. It goes on to talk about fellowship and breaking bread together and, and worshiping and praising the Lord and doing all these other wonderful things. I write about it actually in the book, Building Strong. And if you haven't gotten that book and read it, it would help you out a whole lot. As, as uh, I think actually the uh, I Belong, I talk about the six found, uh, fundamental foundational doctrines of Christ. But anyway, uh, but they continued in the apostles' doctrine, which meant this. They were actually 
attending and adhering to what the apostles were preaching and teaching. That meant they were going, because listen, there was no recorded uh, media of the day. There was no YouTube. There was no internet. So they would gather and listen to the apostles preach and teach, and they continued in their doctrine. So I want everybody just to understand right now that the word doctrine is a good word. Look at somebody say doctrine is a good word. And whenever you read this right here in Hebrews chapter 6, these are the foundations of what we believe as Christians. Without these in place, we will wander and we will stray from the path that God has set before us. These doctrines here keep us anchored and prevents us from experiencing spiritual shipwreck. I will tell you that I have seen ministers of the gospel actually go shipwrecked because somewhere along the line they got their eyes off of the word, they got their eyes off of doctrine and began to substitute the doctrines of the word of God, the doctrines of the Bible with their own opinions and with their own theories. My friend, anytime you substitute a doctrine that is in the Bible with your own theory, you are headed for disaster, right? We can't do that. You can't afford to do that. So we have to adhere to the doctrines of Christ. And these are the six fundamental foundational doctrines. I was thinking about this. Um, I was shared, Pastor Joshua and I, we were talking a little bit about this this afternoon. But, you know, one of the things that is necessary to prevent us from being deceived is we must have the right metric to measure things by. If you don't have the correct metric to measure things by, you will end up going off into deception. People that don't have the right metric are easily deceived. And so what what do you mean by that? I mean this. You have to have something to measure what you're hearing as to whether or not it is accurate or inaccurate. So in other words, if, if I went to Gil right now and I said, Gil, I'm telling you that to be saved... You've got to go sell everything that you have right now, and you've got to give it away, and you've got to go and be baptized in four different baptisms. And then after that, what you've got to do is you've got to come and work at the church for one year for no salary. What would you say to me, Gil? I don't think so. Now, why, why would he say that? It's because he recognized, there, see, there is a basic Bible doctrine, and that is this. By grace are you saved through faith and not of works, right? It's not of works. Look at somebody say, not of works. So he knows that the only way to be saved is through faith in the blood of Jesus, right? That's the only way you can be saved. You're not going to be saved by working at the church for free. You're not going to be saved by selling all you have and feeding the poor. That might be wonderful. It might be noble. But the reality is that will not produce salvation within you, right? The only thing that will produce salvation is faith in Jesus. The only thing, if you, if, if you confess with your mouth the lordship of Jesus and believe in your heart that God is raised from, from the dead, then you'll be saved. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. See, there's nothing any that's in all of these scriptures, what's always representative is our salvation is based upon faith in Christ. Now, I said all that to say this. There is a metric that he has on the inside of him. So whenever he hears anything contrary 
to that metric, he measures it and says, you know what, that's false. Now here's the issue that we have though in the church today. And this has been actually been a lot of research done on this. The church at large is biblically illiterate. Biblically illiterate. And that means this, that the church, we, what's happened many times is we have substituted in the pulpits nice self-help messages for the doctrines of the Word of God. And how many know we got to be grounded in doctrine? It is the truth that will set you free, not a self-help message. Right? And so we have to be grounded in truth. We have to be grounded in correct doctrine. If not, we end up going the wrong direction and going the wrong way. So what we're actually going to be doing throughout this month is we're going to be, now, uh, this is not going to be boring or anything like that, but we're going to actually visit these six fundamental doctrines of the faith because these become the metrics whereby we measure things as to whether or not it is true or whether or not it's false. And so the first one that we we normally would do the, you know, the, the uh, doctrine of, 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 uh, of repentance uh, from dead works and faith toward God. But we're going to start on doctrine of baptism because we're having baptism on Sunday. And I want everybody to have an understanding of what baptism actually is and what it is significant of. Many people, they want to get baptized just because, you know, it's just like a religious tradition or something that they do, but they do it without any understanding. And I want everybody to understand, you have to have a grasp of the significance of baptism. It's not some type of empty action that takes place and it's meaningless. No, there is something that is, uh, and we're going to see this, you know, as, as I share on this. I've got to get going quickly now. Jesus is coming, but I've got to hurry up. All right. Now, notice that he first of all says the doctrine of baptisms. He didn't say the doctrine of baptism. He said the doctrine of baptisms. So there are three different baptisms that are within the church. Okay, The first one is this, the baptism into the body of Christ. I'll share about it in just a moment. Baptism into the body of Christ. And then the second one is baptism in water. And the third is baptism in the Holy Ghost. And may I say this, you need all three. <laughs> now, let's talk real quickly uh, as far as baptism into the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, it says this, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Notice, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. The Holy Spirit is the agent at work that brings you into the body of Christ. And the way that that happens is through the new birth. It says we're baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. So understand, the moment that you are born again, you are baptized into the body of Christ. That means you are totally submerged into the body of Christ. As a matter of fact, the word baptize, it comes from the Greek word baptizo, which means to make fully wet, to be submerged, to cover wholly with a fluid, and to wash or washing. So whenever you are baptized into the body of Christ at the moment of 
the new birth, at the moment that you believe upon the Lord, you are fully submerged into the body of Christ. You're not halfway in the church and halfway out. No, you are fully in the church the moment that you say yes to Jesus. Can I tell you, before you became a member of this church, you had to first of all be baptized into the body of Christ. And you were fully a member of the body of Christ. You're fully saved. You are fully made a new creation in Christ Jesus. To be baptized into the body of Christ means that you are fully and wholly covered with the blood of Jesus. That means this. There is nothing in your life that has not been covered by the blood. Would you look at somebody and say, I sure am thankful for that. How many of you are thankful for the blood of Jesus? See, you're not partially saved. You're fully saved. Amen. The moment you believe upon Jesus, you're fully saved. There's nothing else that's needed for you to be saved. There's nothing else that is required of you. The moment that you believe upon him, you are saved. Now, there is a process of sanctification that we're not going to teach on tonight. There's a process of perfecting. There's a process of spiritual growth. But understand this. Your salvation is taken care of at the moment that you say yes to Jesus and you call upon the name of the Lord. And the blood of Jesus covers everything. Amen? And by the way, you don't ever have to go back and say, Lord, uh, you know, whenever I got saved, I forgot about this thing that happened 10 years ago. Listen, you're already, the blood has already covered everything. Amen? I'm so thankful for that. I don't know about you, you know, but you know, you don't have to necessarily articulate every little thing. By the way, you couldn't do it anyway. And there's probably things that you did that you didn't even know was sin and you were still doing it anyway. But the, the, you know, the reality is you can't remember everything, but you're fully saved. You're fully covered. The blood of Jesus is that powerful. Amen. You no longer have any sin because you've been fully washed. You've been baptized into the body of Christ. Amen. Absolutely no sin remains. So baptize, uh, baptism excuse me, into the body of Christ means this. Please write this down. This, this is the significance of baptism into the body of Christ. And not only means you're saved, but it means this. You have a membership ministry. Whenever you become a part of the body of Christ, it means this. You have a ministry. Would you look at somebody and say, you have a ministry? You have a membership ministry. Every single one of us have a membership ministry, right? Steve has a membership ministry. Christy has a membership ministry. Coy, ha- yes, he has a membership ministry, right? Alyssa has a membership ministry. In other words, you didn't get saved just so you could sit on the sidelines, You got saved, hear this, because God wanted to do something through you. God wanted to minister through you. There is a membership ministry that God has that he desires to manifest through you. Can everybody say amen? And so every single one of us, as members of the body of Christ, we have a membership ministry. And so it is the plan of God, the will of God, that we manifest that membership ministry. Every believer has a function within the body of Christ. You're not saved merely to escape hell and go to heaven. But you think about this for just a moment. If the primary purpose of salvation was to cause you to escape hell and go to heaven, then the best thing to happen the moment that you got saved is for a preacher to shoot you in the head and go ahead and send you on the way. And how many of you know that God has a lot more for you than just, you weren't saved, listen, you weren't saved to just get delivered from something. You were saved to do something. You were saved to function. 
You were saved so that the real you that God made you to be could be revealed because sin kept it all covered. Sin kept it under wraps. But whenever you got saved, that was wiped away. And now everything that God created you to be can now be in full manifestation. Hallelujah. Amen. And so we have to realize that we're not just saved from something. We're saved to something. And I think for, I was raised in Pentecost. And I, again, I thank God for my Pentecostal heritage. But I will tell you, the church that I was brought up in, I don't think there was a Sunday that we didn't hear about hell. I don't know if anybody else was like, you know what I'm talking about, Jimmy. You, you know what I'm talking Every Sunday, right, you're going to hear about hell, right? And you're going to hear, you're, you're about that far, Jimmy. You're just, you just that far, okay? I know you came down and you cried your eyes out last Sunday, but I don't think it lasted, uh, and I don't think you quite got enough of the Holy Ghost. You need to come back down here right now because you're about to slip right on into the fire. Now, for you that weren't raised in that manner, man, you just missed it. That's all I can say. You just really missed it. And now I, I want to make sure everybody understands. Uh, somebody asked me one time, but do you believe in eternal security? I said, yes, as long as you stay eternally secure in him. <laughs> I hope you understand what I meant by that. In other words, you can choose in and you can choose out, right? But uh, I don't have time to go there, but, but nonetheless. But the reality is this. I, we, we always heard about hell. We always heard that was what was ringing loud in our ears all the time. We were motivated by fear. I think I gave you all the story before whenever I was a little boy and they were flying jets. Probably this guy right here, Paul, was probably, he was one of those guys because he was flying, is it F-104s? Is that what? 106 as he's flying, the F-106. But they used to break the sound barrier. And I don't think they can do it anymore, but... And I can remember it. I was about 10 years old, something like that, and it was over the summer. And uh, my granny, she was watching us, and mom and daddy were working, and my, me and my little brother, we would be outside playing. And there was one day I was outside playing, beautiful sky, sun shining, not a cloud in the sky, and all of a sudden this big giant boom. And, um, and I looked around, and there was no clouds around. I went into the house, and I yelled, Granny, and there was no response. Then I yelled, Andy, no response. And I'm telling you, visions began to come up in my little 10-year-old brain. And the only thing I could see was my little head being chopped off because that's what was going to have to happen if you were going to, if you missed the rapture, then you were going to have to be beheaded in order to be saved. Did anybody else hear this stuff? I'm telling you, we, we, we lived every day like, you know, we were, our knees were shaking because Jesus might come any moment and we were going to miss it. We were scared, right? And so salvation was primarily for one thing, and that is to keep you out of hell. That was it. That's the reason we got saved, because we didn't want to go to hell. But listen, my friend, salvation isn't about keeping you out of hell for eternally. It's about keeping you out of your hell now, praise the Lord. It's about saving you for a purpose that God has for your life that he wants to reveal in you that can be revealed in no other way. And we missed it so often, you know, because our understanding of salvation and being baptized into the body of Christ, we never, as a matter of fact, we didn't, we didn't even hear about that. Uh, that terminology wasn't used. Uh, but anyway, 
So you were saved for a purpose. Just like every member of your physical body has a function, every member of the body of Christ has a function. Could you look at somebody and say, you've got a function. See, that's a part of being baptized in the body of Christ. It means you have a function. You're a part of the body. You're part of the body. If people can really get a hold of this. You're part of the body. And how many of you are thankful for your little finger right here? It doesn't get a lot of glory, but aren't you glad that you got it? How many of you are thankful for this finger right here, your ring finger? Right? Let's skip one. And let's, how many of you are thankful for this index finger? <laughs> are you all thankful? Yes, we're thankful for the middle one also. Praise the Lord. Use it correctly, though, okay? <laughs> how many are thankful for your index finger, right? You're thankful for your thumb. You're thankful for, you know, your feet. You're th- how many of you are thankful for your hips? Well, praise the Lord. Me. See, every, every, you need every member. Of your, how many are thankful for your heart, for your lungs, for your kidneys, for all the organs that you have? And listen, when, if one of them decides that they're going to boycott, boy, it's such a revelation here. It sends you to the hospital. Right? If your heart decides it's going to boycott, okay, yeah, they're going to show up, okay? If your, if your kidneys decide they're going to boycott, what does it do? It sends the whole body. In, how often, oh boy, there's something you got to hear. How often are there members of the body of Christ that are deciding they want to boycott? And they're ending up hurting the entire body. See, when you are not doing what you're called to do in one way or another, you're affecting not just you, you're affecting the entire church. That's the reason every part of the body must function. Every member must function, amen? All right, let's move on. I got 15 minutes. Baptism in water is the next baptism. Now, I want to read these scriptures to you, and I'm going to go quickly on this. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, there, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the, and of the Holy Spirit. Now, who said that? This is no trick question. That's what Jesus said, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of age. Amen. Then Acts 2.38 This is on the day of Pentecost. Peter stands up, begins to preach, and he says this. Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached that everyone needed, I'm going to go back to these scriptures in a little bit, but because I want to bring something out. Peter preached that everyone needed to be baptized. So understand this, water baptism is a command. It is something that, it's, it, it, it's not optional for us as believers. Water baptism does not save you, yet it is the fulfilling of a command that we have been given. Does everybody understand that? So that means this, water baptism is important. Jesus himself was baptized by John. Well, if Jesus exampled it, then we ought to do it. Would everybody say amen? So what is the primary purpose of water baptism? Is it just so you can get wet and, you know, you know, go into a tank or wherever? Now, I was baptized in a, a mud. It's got to be the muddiest pond in all of Bay County that I got baptized in. You had to be a serious Christian to get baptized where I got baptized. 
Because I'm telling you, we, we walked, it was like old mud pond, and the moment you stepped in, the mud would come up to your, uh, I, I'm not exaggerating, it, it comes up to about halfway up your shin, okay? And you're just walking, and you're, I guess they wanted to, once you get out here, you ain't going anywhere, and we can catch you before you have, you can't run, I mean, anyway. But nonetheless, that's where I was baptized. As I think I was about 11 or 12 years old. Not only that, there was, I remember one year they did, had a baptism out there and there, somebody got in a hornet's nest. <laughs> that was right around there. Oh, it was me. I got in the hornet's nest. Okay. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> that's probably why I remember it. Yeah. But the primary purpose of water baptism is this. It is an outward expression of an inward experience. Please write that down. You've got to understand this. It is an outward expression of an inward experience. There is nothing magical. There is nothing necessarily... Please hear how I understand. In other words, you, uh, there's, not another, there's not another level of the new birth that happens at baptism. Baptism is merely an outward expression of something that has happened to you and is the fulfilling of the command that we have been given in Scripture. I'm not saying that God can't do something in your life in baptism, but I'm just telling you that this is the intent of water baptism. Water baptism is a public acknowledgement of our covenant with God. Now, I don't have time to do a complete historical study, but I'm going to try to sum it up in a nutshell. You have to understand that baptism did not begin with Christianity, okay? Nor did it begin with John's baptism. Baptism actually started with uh, a what is called a proselyte baptism. And through a proselyte baptism, somebody who was a Gentile could become a Jew. And, and so there were several different things that had to take place for somebody who was a Gentile to become a Jew. And one of the things was circumcision, and uh, one of the things also was water baptism. And it was required for them to become a Jew, to come into the covenants of God. And obviously they had to believe uh, the law and then abide by that. So... That's where baptism actually started. It started as proselyte baptism. And again, it was carried out for Gentiles desiring to become Jews. Before Jesus came, this is what was practiced, and it was the only baptism that there was actually going on. John then came, and he preached a baptism of repentance. And uh, that's why John's baptism was so controversial. Because in proselyte baptism, which was practiced in that day, that brought Gentiles into Judaism. John comes and says, all you guys that are Jews, you need to be baptized. Because although you're in covenant with God, you're acting like the Gentiles. And so he's preaching a doctrine of repentance that's rubbing them the wrong way. Because he's putting them in the same classification as the Gentiles. He's looking at the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders and say, you're no different than all of those guys that are Gentiles right now and that are wanting to become Jews. You, you behave yourself worse than them. You need to come and you need to experience a baptism of repentance. And that's what John practiced. And that's the reason 
they were wondering whether or not they should do it or not. Well, see, that's, then we see uh, there's so many different ways that we could go down this road that I don't have time to go into. But Jesus then comes and submits to John's baptism. I believe there's several different reasons, but one of the things is he's laying out an example for us as believers that we're going to follow later on. But second of all, he is actually showing humility and is that he is submitting to the authority that God has placed in the earth at that moment in time, and that is the voice of John the Baptist, the prophet. I tell you, there's something that happens in your life whenever you submit to the voice of the prophet that God's raised up. When there are voices of anointing authority that you submit to, I'm telling you, there's a blessing that comes with that. I just leave it right there, okay? But, but nonetheless, so Jesus submits to that baptism, and he's laying out an example for all of us to follow. You know, one of the things that we see in the life of Jesus, Jesus did not practice do as I say and not as I do. Jesus exampled everything that we needed to follow, amen? So then water baptism is carried on over into Christianity, and it is an indication of leaving the old and embracing the new. In the same way that proselyte baptism, they were leaving being Gentiles outside of covenant, coming into the law or Judaism and becoming in covenant with God. But we know that the moment that the veil was rent, the law was rendered ineffective at that moment. Are you understanding? At that moment in time, the blood of Jesus, it was a new covenant that was being ratified at that moment. Okay? So... We understand now Christianity, again, that's Christian baptism became controversial because of this. Because primarily it was Jews that were being saved and they were actually acknowledging, I am coming out of Judaism and I'm coming into a new covenant with God through the very blood of Jesus. Okay? And so they, water baptism was signifying that I am no longer in this, now I'm in something else. I'm no longer following this. I'm now following that. See, whenever we're baptized as believers, what it says is this, that the old man has died, and now that we are raised in the newness of life with Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen? So it is an outward expression of an inward experience. Public acknowledgement of the covenant of God. Water baptism for Christians is an indication of something that has transpired on the inside of them, that they're born again. Romans 6, verse 3 through 4. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through the baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. So we see once again Paul is saying that baptism is significant of the old man dying and the new man arising. Water baptism signifies that the old man is dead. Look at somebody and say your old man is dead. Y'all not too enthused about that. You need to say it one more time, a little more enthusiastic. Water baptism is a visible, physical expression of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Okay? So whenever Jesus said to go baptize people, he said to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, Peter, on the other hand, he said to baptize in the name of Jesus. And I'll comment on that in just a moment. But somebody asked me one time who wanted to know exactly how do you baptize people? So how do you baptize people? And my answer was this, in water. In water. I said the only way you can baptize people is in water. You know, a lot of times people can't see the forest for the trees. So you understand what I'm saying? 
And so this is the reality. If you baptize somebody in the name, now you can all have your own conviction of this, but this is my, after being in ministry for a long time and doing a lot of study, when you baptize somebody in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because God is one, you're baptizing them in the name of the Jesus, plus the, the Son, of course, we know is Jesus. If you baptize in the name of Jesus because God is one, then you're also baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Y'all understand what I'm saying? So what we decided to do here, and, uh, and by the way, the first person that I actually heard that did this, I heard Brother Hagin preach about this many years ago. And I was a little bitty guy back then, you know, just a teenager. And I heard Brother Hagin say, you know, he said, whenever I baptize people, because I, you know, to, to escape all the, do you baptize in the name of Jesus? Do you baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Because we see both of them in the Bible. Correct? They're both in the Bible. So that's the reason whenever we baptize people, we normally go, in the name of Jesus, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But understand this, you don't need to get caught up all on that. What you need to realize is going down, it means the old man's dead, now you're coming up. This, you are signifying something. You are expressing something that has happened in your life. I hope you understand what I mean by this. And see, a lot of times what's happened is we've argued over these things that really we should not be arguing over. Whenever we see biblically, we see both of them mentioned, we see both of them declared, and so we don't need to separate from one another because, listen, whenever you believed upon the name of the Lord, if you get baptized in the name of Jesus or Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit doesn't diminish your salvation one bit or accentuate your salvation one bit whatsoever. It is an expression of something that's already happened on the inside of you. So water baptism isn't taking away from it, and it's not really adding to it. It's just the fulfillment of the command, and it is an expression of something that has happened on the inside of you. Are y'all getting anything out of this? And so we don't need to be those who are fighting about these things, okay? If somebody's just adamant, I just want to be baptized in the name of Jesus, fine. I'm not going to fuss with you. In the name of Jesus, I baptize you, praise the Lord. Or if they say, well, I just want to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, no problem. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, right? And, you know, but the way that we do it, just as a general rule, now many of you that have been baptized here, you, you've, you've uh, experienced it. In the name of Jesus, I baptize you because everything we do, we do it in the name of Jesus, right? In the name of Jesus, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so... The last baptism that I'm really not going to have time to share on, and that is this, the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Now, that's found in over in Acts chapter 2. Now, normally we do a whole series just on the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and we'll do that on the, maybe sometime later on this year. But you need to understand that that baptism is a baptism into power that enables you to do what God's called you to do. It is important for every believer to be filled with the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in other tongues. Acts 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Again, this is also referred to as the infilling of the Holy Spirit, baptism in the Holy Ghost, but it's the same thing. This baptism is an infilling of power for the works of service in the kingdom of God. Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. 
The infilling of the Holy Spirit, baptism of the Holy Ghost, is evidenced by speaking in other tongues. Uh, and I, although I can't go to all the different, uh, these different uh, scriptural references, in three of the five uh, references where people are filled with the Holy Spirit, it is specifically mentioned that they spoke in other tongues. Tongues is specifically mentioned. It is inferred in the other two. So we have to come to the conclusion that the infilling of the Holy Spirit is accompanied by speaking in other tongues. Let me say it another way. God wants you baptized in the Holy Spirit, and he wants you to have a prayer language that we call tongues. And it's not something that you just experience at the time of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It's something that you can experience every day of your life. It's something that you have. It's a prayer language that God gives you. It is a direct connection to heaven, direct connection to the Holy Ghost. Your spirit and the Holy Spirit are connected together whenever you begin to pray in the Spirit. Amen. How many of you received anything out of this tonight? How many of you maybe saw something that you've never seen before? You know, maybe a little bit of enlightenment. Now, now please, um, you know, going back to what we started, the reason this is so important is because you've got to have right doctrine. You've got to have right. We have to know what we believe, and what we believe must be biblically and scripturally based. And if it's not, and, and by the way, I, I found that the, some of the things that I was taught growing up, not, not that I, the people were bad, but just they were operating at their level of understanding or revelation or maybe some things, traditions that had been handed down, down to them. But I found out that some of the things that I had been taught just weren't accurate. Some of the things weren't right. How many of you found out that after, maybe after you got saved, maybe later on in life, you realized, hey, I didn't know the Bible said that, and you had to change your thinking about some things, right? You had to change the, your perspective. You know what? That's a good thing whenever we come into conformity to God's Word and not just traditions of men, amen? Would you stand to your feet tonight? Thank you for your patience tonight. This has been more of a teaching message tonight. I did prophesy some at the beginning. This coming Sunday, the message is going to be it will be different. It's not so much teaching. It's going to be very, very much prophetic this coming Sunday. And uh, I'm just expecting God to move in a very, very powerful way. Amen. Now, again, if you haven't been baptized in water, if you haven't been baptized in water, you need to be baptized. Okay? And if you want to be baptized, you can actually sign up on the Church Center app and you can see somebody back there at the information table. Also, you can, if you haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit evidenced by speaking in other tongues, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can be filled tonight. It's not based upon anything you feel right now. But if you don't have your prayer language where you can pray in the Spirit at any moment of the day, at any time, anywhere, if you don't have that liberty, you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you can receive it tonight. You can receive it tonight. What Peter said is the promise is to everyone to everyone the promise is to as many as the Lord our God should call and by the way if you're saved you're called praise the Lord to be filled with the Holy Spirit and the Lord will do that within your life amen can you lift your hands to the Lord And I, I just want you to pray this way just say Lord thank you that the entrance of your word brings light brings illumination I thank you for the light of your word I thank you Lord for illuminating things to me tonight. In Jesus' name, I give you glory and I give you praise. 
Come on, let's just give the Lord a praise tonight. Hallelujah. Amen. Thanks again for downloading this podcast. We trust that this message has blessed, encouraged, and edified you. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss a message here from High Praise. Also, you can follow us on social media, on Facebook, and on Instagram. And don't forget to go subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'll be back soon with another incredible message. God bless you and have a great week.